The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Thank you. Am I switched on? Okay, awesome. <laughs> I don't really need a microphone. I'm Lebanese. My voice projects, <laughs> but... It's always good just to make sure that everyone can hear me. Um, good morning, church. Thank you for the privilege and honor to actually get up and, and share God's word this morning. Like Hillary said, I'm going to be continuing part of our kingdom-focused series. Um, and what I'm going to be sharing on today is going to be on kingdom connection. And I'm going to unpack that into kingdom connection from connection with God's perspective and connection with people. So let me just pray and we will jump straight in. Uh, Lord God, we just thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your great love. And Father, we thank you that you're a God that wants to connect with us. Father, I pray you soften our hearts today that we would hear your tender whisper. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you in uh, and I just ask that you take over and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I mentioned, I'm going to unpack this into, into two parts. So connection with God and connection with people. And I'm going to start off with connection with God. Um, when, when Hillary shared our vision statement a little while ago, part of the vision statement was we are a, community, we are a transformed community of Jesus followers who are in authentic relationship with each other. And I want to focus on that authentic bit for a minute because I think that that authentic bit is, what, is quite crucial. And the word authentic's been a bit of a buzzword for the last few years. It's been thrown around everywhere. But what does this word actually mean for us? And so when I looked into what authentic means, it actually means being genuine, being sincere. So when we talk about authentic, it's, it's saying that we're genuine, that we're sincere, that we're honest, that we're transparent, that we're vulnerable. And for us to have authentic relationships within the kingdom, it starts with us having authentic communion with God. The only way we're going to have authentic community is by authentic communion with God. And let me unpack what that means for us. To understand and to really be able to reflect the heart of, of the king in the kingdom, we actually need to know the heart of the king. Yeah. We've got to be connected to the king so that we can actually know his heart and we can reflect it. And the way we do that is by coming to God openly, honestly, with sincerity um, and with an unguarded heart. When we come to God with an unguarded heart, knowing that he's there to listen to us. And Dar said this morning, you know, God's asking us a question and he's prepared to listen to our answer. And so the question I want to pose to us today is, when was the last time we were truly transparent with God about how we felt about something? And I'm not talking about the joyful, woo, God answered my prayer. I'm talking about when was the last time we were truly authentic and genuine with God about something painful in our life? an unanswered prayer, someone that didn't get healed, or just a hard situation? When did we let our pain come through? And do we believe that God actually wants to hear that or is big enough to hear that? I've been a Christian for about, about 12 years, uh, and, I, and I'll, I'll share my story at the end of this message. But when I first became a Christian, one of the big things I heard in church all the time was, God is good. And if you've been around church, you know how it goes, God is good all the time. God is good. It was everywhere. It got thrown around everywhere. And never more so than when something hard was happening. Oh, there's a problem. Yep, but tell you what, sister, God is good. And I remember one time I was in a hard season and someone go, and I, I was sort of sharing my heart and someone goes, oh, yeah, but, but God is good. And I'm there going, 
Thanks, Captain Obvious. I know that. I get it. God, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. God is good. I know. Thank you for stating the obvious. But my life is a mess right now, and my heart is shattered, and I'm broken, and I'm hurting. And would you be so kind as to allow me the space to sit in both? Do we believe that God allows us the space to sit in the truth that he is good, but the truth that life sometimes is really hard and we don't want to play along? And do we believe that God actually is big enough to accept that and to allow us to sit in that space? Um, many years ago, I was a carer for my mum when she was going through breast cancer. And mum had an awful time of going through breast cancer. And as her carer and her daughter, I had an awful time as well of her going through it because it's hard to watch someone that you love hurting. Um, we've, we've all had people in our lives hurt and it is, it's heartbreaking. And at the time, I was blogging about the experience from the perspective of a daughter and as a Christian. And I was sharing how my faith was carrying me through the journey of caring for my mum. And one of the things that I felt God really challenged me on from when I first started writing was to be vulnerable. I felt God going to me, you've got to be authentic. People need to see what it actually really is like walking with me. And so I determined that, all right, God, if you want me to be vulnerable, then you've got to give me the ability to do that. And so I decided to, I would honour that and be vulnerable. And there was this one week when we had just a, a horrible week with mum. And I, I wrote a very raw, honest blog. I literally pulled my heart out, put it on the page and posted it for the world to see. And to cut a long story short, I got in trouble for it by my church because I made God look bad. Me expressing my doubts and my fears and my concerns and even though I'd said, God's carrying me through this, but me talking about that put a question mark about my faith. And I remember my brother getting a phone call going, oh, like, what's her mental state like at the moment? You know, is she fit for ministry? And the, the genuine concern was, should they pull me out of ministry because I had spoken honestly about my struggle at the time. And I remember being told, you don't need to talk about all that other stuff. Just focus on God being good. That's what people need to know. And take the blog down. It's just a little bit too whatever. And so I took the blog down, but man, I was discouraged. I was actually heartbroken. I was angry, <laughs> but I was discouraged and I was heartbroken because I felt that I was honouring what God wanted me to do. And I, I have a strong belief that people don't want to see perfect Christians. People want to see real Christians. Our life is not amazing when we have Christ. Our life is still hard, but the foundation is we have Christ and we know it's temporary. And people need to know that. People need to know that just because we walk with Christ, our life is not going to be awesome. But our hope is in him. And this is not it. When it ends here, this, it's just the beginning. This is just a detour until we get to the good part. And that's what people need to know. But as I sat there and I prayed it through, just really discouraged and somewhat repenting for making God look bad, um, I thought the Holy Spirit go, I'm not offended. <laughs> and I sat in that for a minute and I was like, okay. And I honestly felt God just put into my spirit, I'm not offended by what you've said. They may be offended, I'm not. I'm not offended by what you've said. And in that season, God took me into the Psalms and let me tell you, everything changed after that. Talk about freedom of speech. <laughs> everything shifted after I went into the Psalms. Because through the Psalms, God showed me what authentic communion with him looks like through the words of David. And God showed me that he actually was big enough, and he was willing, and he wanted to hear my heart. David gives us a beautiful model of what authentic communion with God can look like. 
if we believe that God actually wants to hear it. And I want to take us into Psalm 13. It's going to come up on the screen. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Can I just say, this is not someone politely sitting there with their hands together bowing, going, ah, hey God, it's just me over here. Just, if you have a moment, if it's okay, would you mind just, I don't know, maybe answering this prayer for me. I know you're busy, God, but would it, would it be too much? To, uh, this is not someone doing that. This is someone pouring out the heart going, Lord, how long? Where are you? Why are you not listening to me? Why won't you answer me? Where are you, Lord? This is a desperate heart's cry going, Lord, why are you not answering me? How long am I going to go through this? David was confident that he could go to God with that. David was confident that he could be honest and transparent and authentic with God about his, heart, about his hurt. And he put his heart on the line, Lord, how long? Where are you? Why won't you answer me? I don't know about anybody else, but I've asked God those questions more times than I care to admit. I have sat with my head in my hands begging God, how long, Lord, and why? And David shows us why he has the confidence to actually do this, because if we look at verse 5, but I will trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. David had encountered God's unfailing love and he was confident in that. He was secure in that. He was secure that God was big enough to hear his heart and that God loved him enough to not be offended by it either. God is not a human that he's going to get offended and he's not a human that he's insecure. (laughs) God is not us. And can I tell you, church, God's not surprised when we have our doubts either. He's not sitting there going, did you hear what she just said? Oh my goodness. Jesus, listen, she's doubting me. (laughs) God's not sitting there having a a, a pity party or a surprise because he knows it anyway. He created us. He formed us. If we go to Psalm 139, verse 1 to 4, which will come up on the screen, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. We may get surprised by our reaction. We may get surprised by our thoughts. God does not. And can I tell you, if we go back to verse 5, I will trust in your unfailing love. His love for us, church, is unfailing. His love is unconditional. It is relentless. It is it's completely out of our mind and our, our concept of understanding. God's love is unfailing, and that's what we can rest in. And we can rest in knowing that he loves us enough and he's big enough to come and to hear our doubts. That's what authentic communion with God is, knowing that he loves us enough and knowing that he's going to be tender with our heart, knowing that when we come to him, he's going to be willing to listen and he's going to be okay with it. God's not looking for polite church speak. God's looking for authentic, genuine, Lord, here's my heart, I'm coming surrendered and unguarded. That's what God's looking for, and we get that when we spend time with God. 
we learn to trust in him in the same way that David did when we spend time with him, when we give him our heart. And can I, can I tell you, church, no one's going to be as tender and gentle with your heart like God is. No one will be as tender and as gentle. And I think, uh, I think we, put, we put God into a human box sometimes. And we expect him to react in the way that we're going to react. We expect him to respond in the way that we would respond or the way that, that someone we love responds. If we have a parent or friend who's very hard with us, we sometimes think that if we're going to be that way to God, that's how he's going to respond. But I wanna, they're going to put a picture up on the screen, which I think is actually a beautiful illustration of what we think versus what's actually happening. Because the top picture, I think, is what we think happens with us. That when we sit there, we're on our own, God's not listening, God's not paying attention. And if, if we, we share our doubts or our fears, God leaves us alone and we just sit there with our head in our hands, just on our own. But church, it's the bottom picture. When you weep, God weeps with you. When we grieve, God grieves with us. It is God, God's heart is for us. His love is unfailing, it is unconditional. We may not hear him, we may not see him, we may not feel him, but that does not change the truth that he is sitting there right with us and he's working all things for our good. God's love is unfailing for us and when we spend time with him, when we actually sit and get to know the heart of the king, when we give the king our heart and we get to know his heart, that's when we experience unconditional love like nothing else. Like nothing else. That's when we experience true unfailing love. But... There's another thing that we experience when we spend time and we start to understand the heart of the king, and that is that he starts to transform our heart. And our heart starts to reflect the heart of the king. And when our heart reflects the heart of the king, that's when connection with others and kingdom connection and kingdom community really becomes fruitful and beautiful and richer. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that. We're going to put just um, Psalm 37 up briefly on the screen. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Can I tell you, when I first heard this psalm, I thought it meant that if I delight in God, it would give me what I want. I tried that, and it doesn't actually work. I figured I'll spend time with God, and everything that I want, he's going to give me, and God's like, no, that's not actually what happens. When we delight, when we take delight in the Lord, he becomes our delight. Think about when you fall in love with someone. The more you fall in love with them, the more you want to spend time with them, everything becomes around them. The more we delight in God, the more we take delight in him, he becomes our delight. His desire becomes our desire. And this is, this is how transformation happens because the Holy Spirit starts to transform the desires of our heart and our heart starts to mirror God's heart. The Holy Spirit does the work. It's not us. When we delight in God, the Holy Spirit just takes over. And we want to spend more time with God. And we want to spend more time with God. And what happens then is that we start to actually, our heart mirrors God's heart. And the love that he pours into us, we start pouring out to others. The grace that he extends to us, we extend to other people. The love and the forgiveness and the compassion and the empathy, everything that we receive through the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to actually pour it out to everybody else. And this is when kingdom community really happens. Because we've got authentic communion with God. And when we continue walking with the Holy Spirit, when we're constantly in tune with the Holy Spirit and in communion with him, we can't help but pour out everything God pours into us. And I've often been heard to refer to Jesus as my Jesus. And, and I call him my Jesus because no one's got my heart like Jesus does. But he's not mine alone. 
And as someone who knows him, I've got to share him and let other people know about him. That unconditional love, that unfailing love that we can stand firm on, I've got to let other people know that they can have that as well. God's the love of the world. He didn't die for a select few. He died for everyone. And as our heart transforms, it becomes more like Christ's heart, we start to realize that God goes to extraordinary lengths to reach his people. And we hear some incredible stories of how, how far God went to reach one of his children. God goes to extraordinary lengths to reach his people, and here's the privilege we have, church. He uses us to do it. It's not enough for us to know the, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And we see, with the more we know that goodness and faithfulness, we see it reflected in our community here. Our community is richer. We see it when people join a food roster in the church to make a meal for someone who's had a baby or someone who's not well. We see it when people are checking in with each other and asking for prayer. I experienced it a few weeks ago when my pop passed away and I was getting messages and phone calls letting me know that people were praying for me. When we experience that connection with God, we start to pour that out. But then we also start, as God transforms our heart, as the Holy Spirit does the work in our heart, we start to look for the lost in the same way that God does. Because it's not enough to have a kingdom community in here. We've got to bring more people into the kingdom. The kingdom is big enough for everyone. There is plenty of room plenty of room and it's not up to us to pick and choose who gets to be in the kingdom either we may like to think that we've got a right to pick and choose who should actually come into the kingdom god's pretty clear in his word love your neighbor he doesn't give any requirements or any there's no loopholes there it's it's god who determines who comes into the kingdom we've just got to be obedient and willing and in tune with the holy spirit to do the work when he asks us to but God shows us a beautiful illustration of seeking those with the story of the woman at the well in John 4. And it's going to be up on the screen. I don't want to assume that everyone knows this. I'm just going to briefly read through it, and then I want to unpack a few things. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Mm -hmm. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, You are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is the spirit and his worshippers must fear it. His worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. 
And so I want to, I know there was a lot of scripture, but I want to unpack this passage because I think it's actually really important and there's a few things that we can see in this. Firstly, if we go back to the beginning where it's in, in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. This was not an accidental detour. This was a divine diversion. And can I say that God will orchestrate divine diversions for us that we mistake a distractions or disruptions. And it's only when we're walking with the Holy Spirit that we can recognize that this is a divine diversion that God's placed. We need to remember that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom. God's fingerprints all over everything. And when we're walking with the Holy Spirit, we can identify the divine diversion versus the enemy attacking us. So Jesus had to go there. But one other thing we tend to see here is that he got there and it was noon and the woman was sitting by herself at the door. There was no one else around. In those days, when women would go to the well to get water, it was a bit of a community. They would get their water, they'd hang around, they'd have a chat and all the rest of it. But then at the heat of the day, they'd go home because it's too hot. And so they had the community. So the fact that this lady is sitting there on her own in the heat of the day with no one else around indicates that she was excluded from that community. She was an outcast in that community. And when we read further, we know why. She had five husbands and she was living with a man who wasn't her husband. So in that day, she was an adulteress, adulterer, whatever you want to call it, but she was outcasted because of her lifestyle and because of her past and what had happened. So society put labels on her and they put a boundary line around her that she doesn't get to enter this community because of the label that sits on her. But here's something that I think we sometimes miss in this passage. Not only did this lady have to deal with the shame that she felt in that community, the Bible tells us she had five husbands. In those days, the woman didn't walk away from a marriage. The man did. So here is a woman who's had five men tell her that they're going to enter into a covenant with her before God. They're going to honour her and look after her, only to have them walk away and reject her later. I don't know about anyone else that's dealt with rejection in here, but rejection is hard. Rejection is very hard to come back from. It's only the Holy Spirit that can heal that. And this woman had to deal with five people, promising that they're going to love her and look after her and rejecting her and walking away. And so she's not only dealing with the shame, but she's dealing with the pain of her life. What does Jesus do? Jesus blatantly ignores the label. Jesus blatantly ignores the boundary line. Jesus literally ignores everything society says about this woman, and he goes out of his way to meet her right where she is, literally at the well. He went out of his way to sit with her. And what we see through this is that he spent time with her. Jesus gave her the greatest thing anyone could ever ask for, himself. We often get distracted by the labels and by what society or culture tells us is is unworthy or unacceptable or not welcome. But Jesus died for everyone. And there is a place for everyone in the kingdom. And the truth is that people don't even know that they have a place. They don't even know about the kingdom, let alone that they've got a place in the kingdom. And Jesus demonstrates here that he is going to go out of his way to reach his people. And he's going to ignore everything society says because he's looking at her and he sat with her and he looked her in the eye and he gave her his time and he made her know that she was seen, that she was worthy, that she was valuable and that she was loved by her Father in heaven. He didn't discount her because of her past or her lifestyle. Jesus doesn't discount us because of our past. Because what happened when Jesus treated her with tender care? If we go to verse 28, what we see 
Jesus' love and care and affection for her. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. She became an evangelist. First female evangelist, there you go. When Jesus didn't look at her past or her actual future but let her know that she was known, he acknowledged her life but he let her know that she was known. When we allow Jesus to do the work, he does the transformation. It is not on us to discount people because of their past or because of their lifestyle because Jesus doesn't discount them. And here's another thing. Don't discount yourself either. If you're sitting here going, but you don't know what I've done, you don't know what I've done either. <laughs> Only God knows what we've all done in our life. We Don't discount yourself because of your past or your mistakes or your sin or whatever it is because Jesus is bigger than that. I will trust in his unfailing love. When we let him do the work, when we let the Holy Spirit do the work in our heart, Jesus will transform us and Jesus will use us for his glory. And we see that with the woman in the well. No one treats a heart as tenderly as Jesus does. And what God asks us to do, church, is to go after his people and point them to Jesus. It's not up to us to tell people that their lifestyle is not right. It's not up to us to tell people that their past is not good enough. It's not up to us to pick and choose who gets to come into the kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts. God's the one that does all the work in people. Our role is to love people unconditionally and to point them to Jesus. Our role is to go, there is plenty of room in the kingdom and we want our community to be bigger because we want to bring in one more and one more and one more. I'm going to invite the worship team up and I'm just going to share a quick story with you as a reflection that, that I hope you, you'll see in this. A few people know this story, but... When I was eight years old, uh, my parents owned a takeaway shop, a little fish and chip shop. And one Sunday, this little old lady came in called Pamela Benton. And she had come in after church. And for whatever reason, she just, there was something that connected her with my mum. There was a prompting or something. But anyway, so Pamela put her order in and then turned around and started asking my parents if they knew, they knew who Jesus was. And my parents were like, yep, cool story. Here's your hamburger. Keep your Jesus. Not interested. So she came back the next week and the next week. And Pamela came into my parents' business every Sunday for seven years while my parents owned that business. And every Sunday, she would put her order in and then she'd share about Jesus. You guys should come to church. We were praying for you today. And my dad's like, great. Here's your hamburger. Keep your Jesus. Have a good day. Not interested. My family was an Islamic family. So we've got an Islamic background. And after my parents closed their business down, my dad was like, I don't have to be nice to you anymore because I don't need your money. So you can't talk to us. And my dad actually banned her from talking to us because she lived down the street for us. And my dad's like, keep your Jesus. I'm sick of hearing about him. And my dad literally stopped her from talking to my family. Anyway, a year goes by and Pamela rings up and she's like, oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry if I have offended you or I've hurt you or whatever it is. I love you guys. I'm part of your family. And my dad's like, fine, whatever, and come over. Pamela comes over, you need Jesus, you need to go to church. <laughs> Didn't miss a beat. Didn't miss a beat. I was eight years old when I met Pamela. It would be 18 years before I set foot into church and got baptised. And when my brother and I walked into church on a Wednesday night, the whole church knew who we were. And it freaked me out. <laughs> the whole church knew who we were because for 18 years, Pamela and her husband Albert had been asking that church to pray for us. 
because for 18 years, Pamela had a kingdom heart and I had a heart that was aligned to the king and knew that the king wanted to see me in eternity with him. And so she wanted to see me in eternity with him. And after 18 years of praying and just loving us unconditionally, and church, can I tell you, I'm not the easiest person to love sometimes. I know that might be hard to believe, but I'm not. But Pamela just loved my family unconditionally. There was no judgment. They ignored the label that we were Muslim. They ignored the label that we were just strangers in a shop serving them food. They ignored all of the social norms. And they fixed their heart to go, God wants to see you in the kingdom and so do we. And we're going to stand in the gap with you and we're going to reach out and we're going to go out of our way to find you. And over the years, Pamela just prayed for us and just loved us, her and Albert. And 18 years later, my brother and I walked into church. And the following year, my parents walked into church and got baptized. And because of the unconditional love and grace of two people with a kingdom heart that, was a, that had a heart aligned to the king, they've changed an entire generational line. Because my brother is now a pastor, and him and his wife are raising their kids in the church. And over the years, Pamela and Albert became nan and pop. I've never met my biological grandparents, but I do not believe they could have loved me any more than Nan and Pop did. And so a few weeks ago, when you at the church prayed for me because my Pop had passed away, that was Pop Albert, who is now in glory with the Lord and is fishing with him. His favourite pastime was fishing, both literally and actually fishing for Christ. Now he's up there with his Saviour. But it was 18 years of just loving us unconditionally. Not... not not judging, not doing anything other than just loving us into the kingdom and just showing us that unconditional love that God had shown them. For us to have a richer, God, God-centered kingdom community, it begins with us being in communion with God and then allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work and opening our eyes and our ears to follow his prompting. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you, Father. Lord, thank you that your love is unfailing. Lord, thank you that we can stand in that truth and in that hope, that your love is unfailing, it is unconditional. And Lord, we can never outlove you. But Father, we, we just come to you with surrendered hearts. And Father, I just pray that you would meet every heart today right where it is, that you would remind us, Lord, of your unfailing love, of your unconditional love, and that, Lord, the love you pour out, we would then go and extend to other people. We thank you, Lord, and we honour you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.